For those of you who maybe uh, haven't heard, uh, please be in prayer for the Ewing family. Uh, Nancy's brother, Gene, went into the hospital uh, with complications from cancer this week, and uh, he'll probably either stay there or be released to hospice. Um, then yesterday, uh, Bill and Marcy's mother um, collapsed. She has a, um, a blood clot in her brain and has lost uh, all consciousness and probably will not recover. So please be in, in prayer for the Ewing family this week, if you would. Uh, we're still working through the book of Mark, and we're going to come across a, uh, a passage here today that um, I guess it's interesting it comes up here, uh, for me anyway, for those of you who maybe also haven't heard, I had an accident Christmas morning and uh, spent Christmas Day in surgery uh, losing the sight of my right eye. And so, uh, hopefully, they'll be able to repair it in a few months. But uh, for now, that's why I was checking the, the rights. You guys don't exist over there. <clears throat> but uh, it's, made, it's made things a little bit challenging. And it, uh, whenever things like that happen, you naturally ask the Lord why. And... You know, sometimes you get an answer, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get an answer much further down the road than you would like, but sometimes God does things that uh, we, we just can't see, okay? Some of that's in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. We're in Mark chapter 9 this morning, so if you have your, your Bibles or your devices, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, the setting is that Jesus and Peter, James, and John are coming down from the Mount of what we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. That's where Jesus had uh, transfigured and he allowed them to see his glory. Moses and Elijah were also there, and naturally, it probably freaked those three out. Uh, they're now privy to what they had been told and what they had been led to believe. This man, Jesus, is someone special. This man, Jesus, is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. Now, they're coming down from that mountain, and we're also going to see here uh, in the next few, uh, I guess, well, from here on out, you're going to notice a change. We've been talking about Jesus in all of his miracles, Jesus in all of his healings, Jesus in dealing with the demons and all those kind of things in, on, a, on a public stage. People were coming from all over to the extent that at times he had to get out in a boat because the shore was so crowded. He would preach from a boat large crowds, but you're going to see him start to turn from that. His public 
ministry of that kind is drawing to a close. He's now going to focus on his disciples, his apostles. He's going to be focused more on the instruction, the teaching of his followers. And that's kind of where we're at. There's still the crowds because he's still in the region. He's still doing uh, a lot of things, but you're going to start to see him turn from that. But that's where we are this morning. This lesson that we're looking at, I, named, I titled it, It's All About Faith, because that's really what this message is all about. That's what this section of Scripture is all about. It's a rather large section of Scripture, not huge, but uh, it's all connected here. But it's about faith. And the Bible, you know, says a lot about faith. To the believer, uh, it says that faith comes from hearing in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. These guys had been with Christ. Remember, they had, no, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have any of the letters that we have because Paul hadn't even at this point been converted yet. But... Uh, or, or the, uh, the apostles that wrote haven't, uh, they're still figuring things out. So basically, they have his word. We have an expanded, uh, you know, I guess, picture of what went on more than they had, because they're living it. They're in, the, they're in the writing of God's story. But they have heard him now. They have seen him. And so there is an element of faith of theirs starting to grow, as well as other people that are encountering him. But faith comes through hearing, from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. In Galatians 2.20, remember, we're told that I've been crucified with, with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I who live, but Christ in me. But the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We live by faith. We don't see Jesus like they do. We trust his word. We have his word. We, we, don't, we don't see all these things that are going on. We don't see the way Jesus personally interacts as a human being. We, by faith, believe it's true because of what was written and the revelation by the Holy Spirit affirming to us that it's true. And we came to this life as a Christian by faith, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, coming to him to learn how to live, to learn how to deal with the trials of life. That's what we have, is faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7, it says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are, present, we are absent from the Lord. For we, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We're on this planet absent from Jesus Christ the way they were present with him. 
But we walk by faith, not by sight. We're going to have to learn to trust him, and that's what he's teaching the disciples in this passage. They're going to have to learn to trust him because he's not always going to be with him. They're not with them. He is going to go away soon. They don't understand that, but that's what he's He's, he's, he's narrowing that in. He's bringing this into focus that he is not going to be with them soon. They've got to start trusting what he says. So we pick up in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Bear with me. Reading's still a challenge. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. He answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It is often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into, a terrible into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Father, I just pray that you, uh, you use me to speak the truth of your word and that we would have ears to hear. We, we pray, Father, that you garrison this building with your angels and that you cancel the enemy's assignment against us. And Father, I just pray that we all come away with increased faith. And we'll trust you for that. Amen. Here they are, coming down. Coming down, and there's a large crowd at the bottom because the disciples are there. The three went up, the nine stayed behind, if my math is correct. There's nine of them down at the bottom of the hill, waiting. He told them to wait. And when they come down from the hill, all of the mountain, all of a sudden... They recognize, they see that the nine were arguing with the scribes. That wasn't a, 
uncommon occurrence, the scribes had been hounding Jesus and his followers, looking for ways to trip him up, looking for different ways to discredit him, discount him, all those things. So the fact that the scribes were there was not a surprise. But what Jesus and the three see is that the disciples are arguing with the scribes, and there's a, there's a group of people around them. And when it says here, immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. The they there is, are the disciples. Okay, and the whole crowd saw him, but it's the disciples there who were amazed. And that word amazed is an interesting word. Uh, it's, it, it literally means to throw into terror or alarm. They were shocked. Not that he was coming, because they knew he went up. They told, he told them to wait for him there. But all of a sudden, here he is, coming at a time they really weren't excited to see him. Okay? A while back, uh, we live in a... We live in a place where, uh, uh, presently, we live in a place where behind our house is a bunch of chalk rock. And my grandsons and my granddaughter, they love to go up and mine. They're always mining for gold, but they keep finding chalk rock. Uh, but, you know, we have some rules up there. They all have to wear safety glasses, uh, and they, we have certain hammers and whatnot that, that can be used. Well, one afternoon I walked up to see them. They were gathered up there. I knew what they were doing. I went up to look, and all of a sudden they jump up. Some of them had safety glasses on. Some did not. But they all jump up. Hi, Grandpa. And then they came running to me. I looked over them back from where they came, and they had an axe. And they were pounding the rocks with the axe. They were amazed. <laughs> like these guys were amazed. You get the picture? Now, why is that? He asked them, what are you discussing with them? And I want you to notice here, the scribes don't answer nor do the disciples answer. They say nothing. They don't really want to talk about it because we find out from the story they had been brought, this, this child possessed by a demon, and they couldn't cast it out. Now remember, back in chapter 6 of Mark, the Lord had sent them out to, to, uh, to preach, but they also gave them the authority to cast out unclean spirits. And we find out a couple verses later that they actually did that. The Lord sent them out and gave them the authority over unclean spirits. Now here we find them stumped, stymied, they couldn't do it. And so 
I don't know if it was shame. I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if it was what, what they were feeling, but they were kind of caught with their hand in the cookie jar, it sounds like. So the man said, one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, in uh, Luke's, or excuse me, Matthew's account of this same event, it says that the man came and got down on his knees, implying, Teacher, Lord, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, whenever it takes over, whenever he goes, whenever the, the demon wants to, it sounds like, it takes him over and he convulses. He has a seizure. And we find out they're terrible seizures. All around Israel at this time, there's open fire because that's how they cook. They didn't have ovens the way we have ovens. They didn't have stoves. They had open fires. There was also a lot of open water. That's, how they, that's where they got their supply from. There were wells and there were pools, there were ponds. That's where, that's where they got their water supply. And whenever he was around those things, it says that the demon would take over and try to destroy him by throwing him into the fire or into the water. Whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. This wasn't a medical issue. This wasn't something going on within his own body. This was a demon doing this to this young man at this point. That's the authority the demonic world has. They have that ability when allowed by God. We're going to come back to that. He said, I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. He answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? interesting statement of the Lord. He's looking at his disciples, and by now the crowd was assembling. He says, oh, you unbelieving generation. What was he pointing to? Their unbelief. You unbelieving generation. How long do I put up with you? He's basically saying, all that you've seen, all that you've heard, all that I've told you, and you still don't believe. Believe what? Believe his authority. Believe who he is and what he does by virtue of who he is. He was dependent upon the Father. He told him that. That everything he did, he did by direction of the Father. That that he knew, he knew when the Father told him. He only knew what the Father told him. He only did what the Father led him to do. He only said what the Father told him to say. He was living a life of dependence upon the Father, and whatever the Father wanted to do, that was done because of his availability and willingness to declare the truth about the Father. 
And he's calling to them. He's saying, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? Bring him to me. He needed an encounter with the Lord. Bring him to me, he said. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into a convulsion. Falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Another seizure. Now this is something interesting. He asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Wait a minute, isn't this God? Emmanuel? God with us? How long? Wouldn't he know that? What did he know? What the Father told him. He only knew what the Father told him. He only, remember when asked when, when he would become, he said, even the Son of Man, even I don't know when that hour is that I will return. It had not been told to him of the, by the Father. So he asked him, how long has this been happen to him, happening to him? Jesus could have just walked right up, seeing that boy convulsed, and just cast that demon out. But I want you to catch something here because this is what's so important in the story. The personal touch, the personal involvement, the personal care, the personal concern of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine, we, we, sometimes we read these stories and we just, they're like history, we just, they don't penetrate. Put yourself there. Put yourself in this picture. I don't care where, which character you put yourself in, but imagine the father, this father who has, has dealt with this, this child's whole life. And all he can do is follow this boy around because wherever he goes, this demon's trying to destroy him. And this has been going on all this time. Imagine the life that that father had. And not just his father, but his mother and everybody else who were concerned. And Jesus stopped to say, tell me your pain." I'm interested in your pain. I want you to know I care. Now, this child had been like this all this time, and you say, well, why? Why did God allow that to happen in the first place? Remember the blind man that was brought to Jesus and, 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 and the, the disciples or the Pharisees asked, was it... Was it uh, because of this man's sin or his parents' sin. And Jesus it was neither this man's sin or his parents' sin, but for this moment that you would see, that you would know who I am, that you would see the glory of God, and he restored his sight to him. He had been blind from birth, and now he could see, and that blindness was for the purpose of God revealing himself. We tend to measure what the things that go on in our life by this lifetime. This is not it. We're created for eternity. 
This is where we learn about God, and the only way we're going to learn about God is if we trust Him, if we find out who He is, and we take Him at His word, and we walk with Him as we too be, make ourselves available to Him as Jesus made Himself available to Him, and that's what faith is. And He's personal. He knows you. He knows your pain. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your infirmities, your weaknesses, your addictions, your, your trials. He knows your family. I was thinking of, of this one day, you know, talking to God about this passage, and, and uh, I was actually uh, praying for the Yearies, and... and, uh, and God brought a, a picture to me. I, had, I gave my wife uh, for Christmas one of those sand, this one happens to be round, which is why I'm holding my hands this way, uh, but uh, it's filled with sand and water. And you turn it over, and all the sand kind of comes down, and it kind of creates a landscape. And then you turn it over, and it's a different landscape. And whatnot. But in there, I, I've, I've watched that thing for hours with one eye. But... <laughs> Uh, but it's interesting to me because there's four colors of sand in there. There's a white one, there's a tan one, there's a darker brown one, and then there's kind of a really dark brown one. It's just sand. But as it comes down, it creates a landscape, perspective. And I thought about the trials in life. Remember God said, count it all joy written through James. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, the trying of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work that you would be found perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I began to envision those dark spots as the trials of life. And I began to see how those created the backdrop, the contrast, the highlight, the, the, the difference between light and dark, but how all together they can make something beautiful. In the tapestry of your life and mine, in the tapestry of all of humanity, there's a lot of dark spots. But God wants to add the light through you and I as he did through Jesus. I had a picture of my dad's face, and I thought, how many of those wrinkles? My dad died when he was in his uh, mid-80s, but he had deep wrinkles. And I, I suddenly saw his face, and I thought, how many of those wrinkles did I put there? Because I was a trial many times to my father. And there were five of us, all the same. Or how deep, how much of the depth of those wrinkles am I responsible for? How much character did he have because of me? But I also remember the 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 wrinkles that showed up when he smiled. He had a lot of those, too. We're so worried about wrinkles. They tell the story. 
the story of our life, but more importantly, the story of God's intervention in our life. The story of God's faithfulness in our life. The story of God's person and his personal touch in our life. The point of our life is that our faith would increase. Why? Because our Father is personal and He doesn't want us to show up in heaven when this physical life is over and not know who He is. And I don't know if He has wrinkles on His face. He may. And I'll know exactly which ones are because of me. The concern He's had in my life for me and for you. He's involved with you. Are you involved with him? That's what he's saying here. That's what he's teaching his disciples. The reason they couldn't cast him out, he wasn't there. Remember when he sent them out to, to deal with the unclean spirits? He sent them. He didn't send them to this guy to deal with this guy. They were, all they had was repetition. All they had were the words. All they had was their own strength. And the work of God cannot be done in one's own strength. That's why at the end when it says, this one cannot be dealt with, this kind can, cannot come out by anything but prayer. In other words, that communion with God, that availability to God, it's not talking that this is some special kind of demon. This kind means this species, this, this supernatural, unclean spiritual being can only be dealt with by God. And the spirit of the living God now dwells in you. This isn't a story about dealing with demons. This is a story about being personally involved with God and trusting him for the trials and the joys of your life. My dad had smile wrinkles because he was part of a lot of joy in my life. God wants to be involved in all of your life. Personal. When he when he cast out that demon, he bent down and he took the boy by his hand. He didn't just walk off and say, there, go your way. He stooped and he took him by the hand and he lifted him up. And, and in uh, Luke's account, it says he gave him back to his father. Imagine what that felt like to God. Imagine the joy that they felt. Imagine the freedom that they experienced because of the personal touch of God. We now walk by faith. And you know what? Whatever you are going to encounter in this life, God is sufficient for it. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What did he say here? The man said, the man said, help my unbelief. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Believe what? 
Jesus said, if you, the man said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That word help means to run to the aid of, you know, run to me. And Jesus said to him, if you can, don't you know who I am? But I want you to see something. If you can, the man was already there. Why was he there? He had already heard about Jesus. He already had heard what Jesus had done. That's why he's there. That's why he brought his son. He had faith enough to bring his son. This isn't really a story about this guy. I, I imagine Jesus saying, if you can, watch this. If you can, what have, the, what have they been saying about me? All things are possible to him who believes. So no matter what you're up against, know that Jesus is personally involved with you and he cares. And what he tells you to do, you make yourself available to him and he will do it. He promised that. The problem we have out here, we got a lot of people doing things in their own strength, just like these disciples, saying, oh, they're trying to impress people with the power of God, but it's not the power of God that's in question. He spoke this world into existence. It's the person of God. That's what he wants you to know. The person of God. There's people out here wrote trying to do things that Christians do and, 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 and uh, heal or do whatever in their own strength. God didn't tell them to do it. So it doesn't get done. It's not that he can't. He raised people from the dead. He healed all kinds of infirmities and sicknesses. He can do it. He can cast out any demon. He can do it. But you know what he'll do through you? Only what he tells you. And in that, you've got to believe. That you've got to trust. And that may mean loving an unlovable person at the moment. That may be loving, serving somebody that's difficult. That may be waiting to see what God's going to do with an illness, with an injury, with whatever. But he's there, and he cares. He can, and he will deal with everything of our life. He just wants us to have faith. The power isn't the question. It's the love and the personal involvement that he cares about you and those that you love. He wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. And that starts right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how all things work together for good.
for those who love you, those who are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Father, that you didn't leave us here as orphans. You didn't leave us and go away. Instead, you sent your Spirit. And your Spirit is constantly telling us your word, your truth, sufficient for everything that we deal with. And, Father, may we learn to trust you and believe you not just for what you can do, for, for the things that you don't do. When it appears to us, maybe you should do. It's not a question whether you can or can't, but what is your greater purpose in building in character in our life? May, we, may you find us faithful to trust that because we do believe you and we believe you're good. Thank you for the tapestry of our life. Thank you for the wrinkles we share Thank you for the way that you work your character into us and work our flesh out of us. That's what it's all about. We praise you for that. Amen.